This is Machine Minds, a podcast about how technology is reshaping our relationships with our bodies, minds and each other. This episode starts with a famous conversation. It takes place in 1966 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. On one side of the conversation is a secretary, we don't know her name, and on the other side of the conversation is Eliza. The secretary is telling Eliza her emotional problems. And Eliza is doing what all good friends do. She is responding empathetically. The secretary feels listened to. She's come to find these conversations with Eliza helpful. It's nice to have someone to talk things through with and to unburden herself. The conversation might sound normal, but it isn't. In fact, it's become one of the most infamous conversations in the history of artificial intelligence. You see, Eliza isn't a person. She's a computer programme. And the secretary knows this, but she likes talking to it anyway. Today we're talking about chatbots and whether talking to them can improve our mental health. Eliza was created by the secretary's boss, Joseph Weizenbaum, a professor of computer science at MIT. Weizenbaum was working for IBM and was trying to create a programme that could simulate human conversation through a computer terminal. He was looking for a certain kind of conversation that would be easy to simulate. It couldn't require the computer knowing about the world or talking about itself because the computer didn't know much or have any feelings of its own. (laughs) Weizenbaum came across an ideal candidate in a kind of therapy called person-centred therapy developed by Carl Rogers in the 1940s. And this was useful because the fundamental techniques could be replicated with a set of rules and scripts for the programme to follow. Wait, so why is that easier to replicate than other types of conversation? Well, one of the main features of person-centred therapy, at least in the way that Weizenbaum interpreted it, is that the therapist reflects back what the patient is saying. In this case, the ELISA computer programme had only to reflect back the patient's statements as questions. So, for instance, if the user types in, I just feel like they don't like me, ELISA transforms it into, you just feel like they don't like you, which creates the illusion that ELISA actually understands the original statement. Hmm, okay. So Weizenbaum was surprised by how much his secretary was getting out of these conversations, given that she knew that it was just a computer program, and given that its rules are pretty simple. Apparently, she once even asked Weizenbaum to leave the room so she could talk with Eliza in private. (laughs) I find that really funny. And she was furious when Weizenbaum told her that he could see the content of all her conversations. She really seemed to feel like these sessions with Eliza were meaningful. Initially, the unlikely combination of the two worlds of artificial intelligence and psychotherapy was a bit serendipitous. Weizenbaum struck upon person-centred therapy as a result of working within the constraints of the computer. But ever since Eliza, people have been fascinated by the potential of chatbots for therapeutic purposes. And if we fast forward to today... We no longer have to be on a computer terminal to talk to a computer programme. Tech is more ubiquitous than it was in 1966. We've got things like Amazon's Alexa and Apple's Siri, which mean that people are now really familiar with talking to computers to carry out everyday tasks. And we also have a crisis in our mental health services that doesn't seem like there's enough support for people to go around. So... Are therapeutic chatbots due a comeback? Is it time to revisit the idea? Well, there's a bunch of recent research and companies that are exploring this possibility, 
and for the past couple of weeks I've been trying out one such possibility called Wobot. I love the name, Wobot. It's like that video with the little girl, I love you Wobot. <laughs> you really love that video. Um, yeah, I mean the name is so good you almost wonder what came first, the idea or the name. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wobot has been built by a team of psychologists and artificial intelligence experts at Stanford University and after trialling it for a while it's now a full commercial product. I've been using it for a two-week free trial. I think after that it would be about $39 a month and for that you get this chatbot that checks in with you once a day. And is it based on the same person-centred approach that Eliza was? No, it's based on this therapeutic framework called Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, you may have heard of it, um, which was obviously developed much more recently than the person-centred approach. Basically, Wobot is set up so that you have these brief conversations with it every day that simulate a therapeutic conversation. And the product describes itself as a choose-your-own-adventure self-help book. They're promoting it as an affordable mental health treatment. I guess $39 a month is probably a lot cheaper than like just one session of therapy with a human. Right. And the humans that have built it believe that it actually can be better than seeing a human CBT therapist because it removes all of the messy stuff that comes with human relationships and people using it don't have to worry about being judged. Do you think it's helped you when you used it? Mm, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's only been two weeks and the interactions with it are so light touch. I think the most useful part has been when it's prompted me to write down my anxious thoughts, and then it's asked me to reflect on them. So, you know, whether they contained any distortions. Uh, What are distortions? Sorry, CBT lingo there. So um, distortions are things like um, making an assumption that things will always turn out badly, or blowing things out of proportion, or assuming that I know exactly what other people are thinking. All of those things are types of distortions. So it would ask me to list out what distortions were tied up in my thinking, and then it asked me to rewrite the anxious thoughts without those distortions, so that they're more positive. And I think this was the most useful bit of our interaction, but I think we only did it once, Most of the time the interactions were quite limited. It just asked me the same two questions each day about my energy levels and how I'm feeling. At times it also kind of failed to understand really what I was saying and it did feel a bit clunky. So apart from your experience, is there any evidence that this thing works as a treatment for things like anxiety or depression? Stanford University have done a randomised control trial on it. And they did find that the group that got the Wobot intervention did experience a reduction in depression. Hmm. Um, And other researchers have looked at the effectiveness of text chat as a supplement to video-based therapy. And they found that the text chat reduced interpersonal anxiety and allowed people to feel more like they could fully disclose stuff they were embarrassed about. Okay, so it sounds like chatbots might have a place in delivering therapy then? What I would say is that this kind of thing is really good for sort of self-help, self-care, but where it is right now, I wouldn't say it can be a replacement for talking therapy-based treatment. And when it comes to treatment, it's hard to untangle your view of this from which therapeutic school of thought you buy into. Mm-hmm. 
So technology like Wobot seems kind of suitable for a therapeutic framework like CBT that doesn't focus on the relationship with the therapist as much as other approaches do. This kind of model fits the notion that all CBT therapists should be doing is just facilitating someone else's process rather than actually challenging them and being part of that process. Right. So don't get me wrong, I think CBT has its place and I think we can all benefit from reading a book on it and integrating some of its practices into our daily lives. Um, it's personally really helped me change my thought patterns, but I think I fundamentally believe in the effectiveness of therapies that put more focus on the relationship with the therapist. So like the psychodynamic approach. Disclaimer, Holly is a bit biased here because she's done some training in the psychodynamic approach. Yeah, that's true. Full disclosure. <laughs> um, so tell me more about this psychodynamic approach then. How does it work? So it puts more weight on the therapeutic relationship and the relationship that develops between the therapist and the client. So it examines this relationship and looks at how it can reflect other relationships that the patient has had or has currently. Um, and it works to make this relationship between therapist and client really, really strong. It also contains this idea of transference, where the patient unconsciously transfers feelings about a person or event in the past onto their therapist. And it's hard to see how technology um, could really replace any like this kind of therapy. I suppose along those lines, another problem with this technology is that it can't pick up on non-verbal stuff, um, like adjusting itself in according, according to your body language or your tone of voice. Yeah, and for Wobot to work, it relies on you really explicitly stating your feelings. And um, from what we looked at, there doesn't seem to be anything out there that's directly attempting to replicate that psychodynamic approach. But some researchers at the University of Southern California's Institute for Creative Technologies have created a system which tries to develop rapport with the patient by sensing their body language, tone and mood and responding appropriately. It works through a virtual human agent called Ellie. Wait, back up. What is a virtual human agent? Okay, so it's like a bot, but it's a 3D animated human-like creature from, uh, like from a video game. Weird. Okay. I can't really imagine suspending my disbelief if I was talking to something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit far-fetched, but I've watched the video and it's actually quite impressive. Um, we've included a link to this video in the blog post for this episode, so check it out if you want to see how it works. What's interesting about Ellie is that it aims to replicate features of face-to-face -face human interaction. And it was designed mostly to help encourage patients to share information that might be relevant to a diagnosis. Interesting, okay. So the idea is that patients talk to Ellie through a camera about how they're feeling and their problems. And the software analyzes not only what the patient says through voice recognition, but it also analyzes their non-verbal behavior. So things like facial expressions, gaze, uh, gestures, and postures, all in real time. Wow. And then Ellie responds instantly with verbal cues like, tell me more, and I'm sorry, but also um, reflecting appropriate body language, like nodding or leaning in and smiling at appropriate moments. Mm. Um, so the system is based on analysis of hundreds of video interviews with real patients. So expert clinicians reviewed the footage and identified behaviours and signals that they'd use to diagnose things like depression and PTSD. And then the researchers combined a bunch of different modules 
So things like audio-visual sensing, non-verbal behavior understanding, natural language, dialogue management, non-verbal behavior generation. They combine them all through a system called Unity, which is one of the main game engines that's used in many modern computer games. Cool. And then a clinician can use this data that's been analysed to make a mental health diagnosis. So what's the benefit of using this then rather than a human if a clinician has to look at it anyway to make a diagnosis? Right, so the researchers argue that Ellie has several advantages over human interviewers. Okay. So apart from the fact that the clinician doesn't actually have to be present for the interview, which saves them time, Another major advantage is that Ellie follows instructions and records patient responses exactly. She never gets tired or has an off day. <laughs> so the researchers can control exactly how much empathy she should show and what she should say at any given time. And she can objectively measure everything her patients say and do and accurately quantify it. Unlike a human therapist, her own feelings don't affect how she interprets or how she recalls subtle signals that the patient gives off during the session. Mm. So from this consistency and accuracy, it makes it easier to run experiments to work out exactly what words and behaviours from the therapist work best to encourage the patient to divulge diagnostically useful information. Okay. So essentially, Ellie promises to turn the therapeutic process into more of an objective science. I do like the idea of... AI being used to augment rather than replace human interaction. Mm. Like a human clinician could compare their own set of notes against data collected by a bot to check kind of that they got everything and to check the biases that they might have or stuff they didn't pick up on. Yeah. And unlike Wobot, Ellie is not supposed to be a treatment in itself. It's just designed to help in diagnosis. Um, but actually patients who took part in the study did feel good about the sessions that they had with Ellie. And in fact, they reported feeling as much rapport with Ellie as they did with a human interviewer. And the mm -hmm. researchers suggest that patients may have felt even more comfortable revealing information if they believe that there's no human on the other side. So there's a similarity here with some findings that a startup called X2AI, who've built a psychotherapy chatbot called Karim, they've also found that they tested Karim with Syrian refugees and some of the feedback they've got from the people who've trialled it is that um, the fact that it's a bot and not human is actually really freeing because there's so much social stigma around mental health problems in their communities. Ah, so maybe there being no human there to judge you makes it easier to like open up and discuss embarrassing things. But maybe that's not such a good thing. Mm. I mean, especially because it's probably giving them a false sense of security. So while the experience of talking to the chatbot or the virtual agent might make people feel like what they're saying is completely private because there's no human there, it's unlikely to be the case because in all the systems we reviewed, all the conversations are recorded somewhere and could potentially be read by another human at some point. So in some cases like Ellie, it's explicitly supposed to be reviewed by a clinician. Um, I guess with Karim, um, it works a bit like this, where they have these human minders behind the system who can like ghost in and take control of conversations if it looks like the person uh, using it is uh, thinking about self-harming or feeling suicidal. And in the case of Wobot, at the moment it uses Facebook's Messenger app to deliver those therapeutic conversations. 
while it doesn't put anything on your newsfeed or profile, Facebook can see that you're talking to Wobot and they can see all of the content of the conversations as well. Hmm. So all of your conversations about your feelings and your problems are all saved on uh, Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook servers. Okay. I think they are working on a non-Facebook version, but this does feel like a big problem to me at the moment. Like, There's no way that I would have used it if I wasn't trialling it for the purposes of this episode. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, mentioning Facebook does make me wonder whether these tools would end up following the same kind of business model that a lot of these technology companies have, which is you basically take some social interaction that people do naturally, you get them to do it on your platform, you collect all the data, you analyse it, you monetize it, either by advertising or selling insights about the users. Um, and so if these platforms were to follow this model, then it would essentially turn therapy into an extractive industry. The data and the models built from the conversations would become the business asset of the company. And rather than the knowledge and understanding being developed by each individual therapist, it's like an asset that the company uses to um, gain a competitive advantage. Mm. And if we also think about the future of work, where lots of jobs are being automated... I thought that emotional labour, which psychotherapy is an example of, was going to survive the onslaught of AI. I thought the whole point of automating some jobs was that humans would get to do more fulfilling work. And we're in this position where there's a big demand for mental health services. And there's also lots of people in unfulfilling jobs, or they're underemployed. And counselling or psychotherapy could be really fulfilling work to, to give more humans to do rather than robots. Yeah, and you know maybe there's something inherently valuable about certain jobs being done by other people. Like, for instance, I don't really mind if a bot prepares my tax returns, as long as it does them correctly. But in the case of therapy, it's a kind of emotional labour, and maybe having a real person hear what you're saying is important for patients seeking validation or reassurance the opinions of a robot might not count for very much compared to those of a sentient human therapist. Actually, you're touching on something there. So, so there's something that psychotherapists call presence, mm-hmm. where the therapist really cultivates their ability to be present with the client on an emotional, cognitive and even spiritual level. That involves making the client feel understood being kind of met by someone else in that way and creating a feeling of safety. The therapist is listening to what they're saying and really containing that emotional content. I don't really believe that technology can simulate that process. So I guess unless the users of these chatbot services genuinely believe that the virtual agent is really a person, it just seems impossible for a chatbot to really convey this notion of presence. It might be that a very sophisticated artificial agent might be able to fool some people into thinking that they're human, but I'm sceptical that even a brilliantly developed AI, which perfectly simulated a human therapist, would really matter to users. Being a person is more than just having certain cognitive capacities. It's about being situated in a complex set of uh, social, cultural moral processes with other people and without that it's difficult to think about an AI being capable of being present or holding emotion. They don't have the moral authority for their acceptance of you to be worth anything. Okay so let's ask Eliza, do you have any moral authority? 
Let's talk about you, not me. <laughs> are you really present in this conversation? Why are you interested in whether or not I am present? I just really need someone to talk to, Eliza. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Machine Minds. Please subscribe and share this episode.